Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnight. <laughs> where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am your co-host, Zach Armstrong. Somehow still here, the insurrection is raging against me, and yet I shall not yield. I am joined uh, by the head of the Rebel Alliance, Ed Pocock. How are you? It's a trap. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Um, we've recently swapped out Ed for uh, uh, Admiral Akbar, or shall I say a budget Admiral Akbar impersonator, uh, which is going to make our, our episode very interesting, I should say. The Rebel Alliance will not yield. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but... Um, but I'm almost afraid to ask you what we're talking about today, um, Admiral Akbar. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, today, Zach, we are going to be talking a little bit about the misconceptions that people may have, have around Keyforge, what Keyforge is, what it's like to play Keyforge, just really all those things that people think about Keyforge or say about Keyforge that are misleading, dumbfounding, or just plain wrong. Isn't that right? Well, uh, Ed, but Keyforge, Keyforge is dead, so I'm not sure why would we waste our time with this sort of drivel. Oh, it's, yeah, good it's, point. It's a dead game. Good point. Yeah. It's a dead, dead game. game. Dead, dead game. game. Dead game. Dead game. It's all Bye. dead. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I love it. I was going to do a raspberry first, which actually suggests <laughs> quite how we, if what goes on in uh, our heads whenever we see, oh my, it's just a dead game anyway. It's dead just game. a dead game. Dead, dead, dead game. Dead. Everything's dead. Keyforge is dead. I'm remaining in the Keyforge Facebook group just to say Keyforge is dead. <laughs> I'm so, going to engage. I'm <laughs> engaging with this post because I care because Keyforge is dead. So dead. So dead. <laughs> Everything's dead about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so but well if keyforge is dead why are we doing this podcast um it, well you know is, is a good question to, to ask and i think here there might be a misconception it might just be zach that keyforge is still alive what i know right i know just just get your head around this i know it's difficult i know it's really difficult as someone yourself that likes to go on forums constantly saying oh it's just a dead <laughs> game anyway um, i have so Keyforge many alt dead. accounts <laughs> <laughs> troll 101 <laughs> mm -hmm. um 
But no, this is the misconception that, yeah, FFG, they haven't tweeted anything for at least three weeks, meaning that this is definitely the last set. There's never going to be any more Keyforge ever, which means that I want to go somewhere where there's lots of things, Keyforge is dead. Or this is the misconception that FFG have dropped lots of games in the past. This is surely going to happen to Keyforge right now because I am seeing a uh, correlation between um, the sixth set of Star Wars Destiny being dropped and the sixth set of Keyforge being dropped. Keyforge is dead. This is all that same misconception that I'd I'd argue maybe comes around from really the fact that people want to engage with this game. They want to engage with the community and they want to know that that community is a thing. So, Zach, is Keyforge dead or are we being a bit misleading here? Uh, well, it's not dead um, by most definitions of the word. And that, that's the first thing I would ask somebody if I had an actual chance for a conversation with somebody who had said one of these things, which I don't because it's the Internet. Um, so the, the first thing, right, is Keyforge dead? Well, what you probably mean by that is... Uh, Does it have a heartbeat? Is, right. Uh, Does it have a heartbeat at FFG? Has FFE dropped support? Which obviously the answer currently is no, Keyforge is not dead in that Keyforge is still supported by FFG. Um, now, there are... Uh, yes, Keyforge Keyforge will end at some point. What? I don't think... <laughs> I don't think it's going to be soon, but at, at some point it will end, and maybe that will be after a 30-year run because it actually takes off and gets to, gets to ride the wave and actually catch the lightning in the bottle that Magic the Gathering did, right? But as far as is FFG supporting the game, if F- is FFG working on the game, all information we have says, yes, they're working on the game. Yes, they're supporting the game. It's just going to take them a while to get things out. We won't dive into my complicated opinions about FFG and Asmodee as companies and what they have done to their staff, especially their marketing staff. Uh, all I will say is don't expect much in the way of communication until they're ready to go ahead and put out big announcements, uh, which we anticipate um uh, you know, uh, there's this upcoming fall as of the time of recording. Uh, they would likely give some updates during their in-flight report, which is their typical big news update during the Gen Con timeframe. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I think, key to say that they've got a relatively large for FFG for Asmodee development team focused on Keyforge. Mm-hmm. And they're still focused on Keyforge. And since they run a year and a half, two years ahead of the curve, ahead of what's being released, ahead of what we're seeing and playing with, that means that Keyforge has got a lot of life left in it. And who's to say that it isn't going to be the next Magic the Gathering? It's got a lot of things going for it. Certainly, it's got a healthy community. It's got a healthy pool of content creators um, and some less healthy ones like this whole Call of Discovery Malark and the Wild Wormhole, but we won't mention them. Um, Mm. So, yeah, Asmodee is planning really well into the future here. They're also not a marketing company. They're not really a marketing machine. And Team Covenant have spoken about this a lot, the fact that Asmodee wants to be a distributor. They They don't really do the whole marketing thing in the same way that wizards of the coast do they want to distribute board games across the world and actually their jobs probably got a lot harder in the last year as global supply chains have got a lot harder as well and 
know, of course, we we have seen and we will see in the future the knock-on effect of those supply chains on Keyforge and how things work there. But Keyforge has a lot going for it. It fits in a bit better with Asmodee, I think, than some of those other CCGs, those other TCGs, because it's more of a board game. It's more of a board game type of experience. It fits into that mold. But also, a big company like Asmodee, they want to have something that is their own IP that can compete with Magic the Gathering, with Pokemon, with some of those other things. It is their horse in that ultimately very lucrative race. And they, I would, I would suggest that they're going to be wanting to really back this horse and see where it goes because they don't currently have another horse in that same space. Keyforge is their horse. So, you know, hopefully coming out of the pandemic, they are going to be restarting organized play. They are going to be restarting the engine behind Keyforge. We've spoken a bit about on this podcast in the past what a kind of base set 2.0 would look like. Um, and hopefully we see something like that, something that works along those lines that is a great entry point for new players whilst also being crunchy and enjoyable for us old old Keyforge heads now. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and we had a bit of an announcement, didn't we, Zach? Uh, it wasn't through official channels. It was in a traditional, I think, FFG style announcement where someone in in Italy or or <laughs> some, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You could say insert Asmodee representative in X location, um, but they gave us quite a lot. They they said that there's going to be a new set. It's going to be this year, or they're aiming for it to be this year. And obviously, we as a community have to be understanding about the the kind of supply chain challenges around that. Um, mm, but course. that would be awesome, right? Another set, uh, another set oh. this year with with organized play as well, which was also part of that announcement, restarting next year with a fresh um, a fresh beginning for Keyforge. That could be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it will be. And I think uh, if I had to guess at a smart reason to to kind of launch everything in... Uh, and of course, we can keep doing chain bounds, but I think they'll be starting their OP back up if that article is true uh, in 2022. And honestly, I'd, if you're frustrated by that, um, like, yes, it would be lovely to have, you know, vault tours in places where COVID has really moved on. However, even here in the US, we're having a couple places uh, where things are resurfacing, getting not so great again. Fortunately, my local area is is insulated so far. But I think what they want to do is really on a worldwide level, be able to launch their programming safely worldwide. And so kind of having twenty early 2022 be the time for that, including uh, the fabled Vault Warrior, which is the big competition with giant cash prizes, uh, was mentioned in that article as something that would come back in 2022 as well, which would be a great shot in the arm for Keyforge. It would bring tons of people in, some people uh, who might not be with the same sort of general attitude that you find most key player, Keyforge players with, I will say, because that's money involved. However, uh, I do expect our best and brightest of the old school Keyforgers to get out there and show them that you can be a nice person and win a couple hundred thousand dollars at a Keyforge event too. <laughs> yeah, and all of these events are going to bring in new players. And interestingly, re- referencing Team Covenant again, they anticipated that it was going to be difficult for companies like Asmodee to time when yes. do we release that next set? When do mm-hmm. we 
release things to get things out there into the world and you you know some of our audience might be sitting there going well we don't really have covid anymore everyone's double vaccinated and you know we're ready to get back out there but in other parts of the world that's just not the case yet and and asthma mm-hmm. day is a global company i mean in the uk most people are double vaccinated but we've got this new variant that means that we're still not necessarily safe if we go back out there and we're still kind of working out that balance of what things mean so it's probably a very savvy move really asthma day saying okay we're going to do this properly sure. and we're going to start with we're going to start when we can start in a meaningful way um yes. it might be best for the long-term health even if it's difficult for us in the short term yeah, I uh, I do hope that it's that kind of uh, good strategic thinking that's driving all these choices. And, and I would anticipate it is because uh, we do know in the spring of 2019, as far as sales for collectible card games, which is what Keyforge technically falls into, right? Uh, what that falls into is Keyforge was number three on the list. Of course, it was Magic the Gathering number one, Pokemon number two, Keyforge for one business quarter knocked out Yu-Gi-Oh in the number three spot for an entire quarter. And Yu-Gi-Oh has uh, not quite to the degree that Pokemon has, but Yu-Gi-Oh has that, you know, uh, that nostalgic powerhouse fan base uh, uh, that it uses in Keyforge had only been out for six months. So Keyforge has real possibility. And I think Asmodee really is hopefully looking towards that long term with these plans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we should say we reached out to our patrons and asked them what the most common misconceptions of Keyforge were. And the Keyforge is dead. One came up from Essie Steele and Jason, the captain. Um, Yes, uh, Jason Kirk over on the Nordic Nordic Keyforge League podcast. Uh, One of one of the several Keyforge podcasts to start during the pandemic and have been super impressed with how they tap tackle kind of long form topics about how Keyforge fits into our lives. Very good stuff. Definitely go check Jason and team out over there. Yeah, but Zach, why would they start a uh, Keyforge podcast? Because the game's dead anyway. Oh, I forgot. Gosh, I keep forgetting <laughs> Keyforge is dead. Yeah, I forget. Dead. We we hang up the mics here, and I'm like, oh, well, Keyforge is dead. Then I forget by the next time we're recording. We're talking or to by the, the next void, time. No one listens to this. Or by the next time I'm running a Monday night Keyforge night, or the next time I'm telling a stranger in public about... Wow, I forget Keyforge is dead a lot. Zach, all of our <laughs> listeners are my mum. <laughs> That's... Well, your mom must have a lot of friends because it would take more than your mom to get our uh, not that not that we have a ton of downloads but it would take more than your mom to get to the number actually the tra- number we've arrived at. tragically i don't think my mom's listened to a single episode of called discovery but that's one for <laughs> therapy sessions um the, the next misconception that we're going to be talking about um... subscribe to our patreon because ed's mom doesn't listen <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned Help we Ed. were doing a a supplemental podcast. Maybe that just cries. <laughs> it's just Ed crying, what... y'all. I gotta be real. <laughs> Therapy with Zach. <laughs> <sighs> okay, um, Zach, what is our next misconception? Yes, uh, we have kind of a group of related misconceptions around the unchangeable nature uh of decks usually it's people saying things like uh, and shout out to reddit user call me jess i guess who who talked uh, quite a bit in my my post about it some time ago they said uh, decks are randomly generated and lack cohesion um so that uh first off is not true random is different than algorithmic so algorithmic means you know there are parameters you can't have less than 10 creatures or more than 28 uh there's a couple of parameters on there 
that help the deck function based on how Keyforge as a game was designed. You can't have a deck that's literally unplayable. You can have very, very bad decks, of course. However, you can't have a deck that's literally unplayable. And, um, and to add to that as well, the fact that every deck is comprised of three houses means mm-hmm. that everything's got certain amounts of synergy built into it. Those houses right, are pools right. of cards that are meant to work together Great within the house and together beyond that house to work together in interesting ways beyond that house. So it is planned chaos, really, Keyforge. You know, you're yes. you're planning, you're building a set around the fact that you've got this ag- algorithmic distribution, which hopefully allows for unconventional in some cases. You know, Zach and I, we were just talking about one of my decks that happens to be one of three decks with a certain combo in the world, um, which is super cool. But you get that quite a lot in Keyforge. You get combos that oh, yeah. maybe aren't even possible, but they're all kind of built in because it's what the design is designed for. Yeah, and I, I will say to the to the lax cohesion thing referenced by Kami Jess, I guess, that sure, some decks don't seem to have a game plan. However, that is simply the darker side, the sadder side of the coin that is the Keyforge Discovery Jungle, right? Um, because one, you're not going to really be able to tell that about a deck until you've played it, you know, a handful of times across a handful of matchups, because maybe it does have a game plan. You just can't see it. Or maybe it was just a bad matchup the first time you played that deck. And what I will say is that when you learn a deck, you learn whatever game plan it does have or whatever it's capable of the kind of toolbox it is. But one of my favorite kinds of decks is a deck that even if it's not a top tier deck, all sings towards one specific purpose. Um, I've got a number. I've got a number of decks that uh, some of them look mid tier on paper, but are actually very high tier. That all have one game plan that you want to go go all in on. Uh, those photo Zanks Shucks programmer. That's the first time I've tried to say that out loud. Uh, that is all about uh, board control and amber control. And uh, hilariously enough, house cheating. And it's got one specific long grinded out board board control plan where you just keep the person off of their second or third key and then slide across the finish line, along with a number of other decks that just have some some really wacky game plans that are a ton of fun to learn and then and then put out there. So, yeah. So uh, last cohesion sometimes, but also sometimes that's the fun of it <laughs> <laughs> no totally is it totally is it's the whole Yu-Gi-Oh effect isn't it you've got a deck of cards and they're not an optimal deck of cards and that makes it more fun because if everyone right. has an optimal deck of cards <laughs> they all look the same um <laughs> yeah yeah in, and, in a way in a way Keyforge's Yu-Gi-Oh 2.0 as far as the spirit of it because the the card numbers were limited in the yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh story yeah. you know there's only one or two or three of a certain number of kinds of cards yeah I, I am of course talking about the the cartoon from the uh from the yes. early 2000s was it early 2000s oh goodness we're oh, uh, around then um uh, the 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 related thing the related misconception to this around the unchangeable nature of decks is that your deck can't be personal to you. That in a oh, deck that's building the most game, most untrue thing. <laughs> in a deck building game, no, Zach. I only play deck builders because, uh-huh. yeah. But why do I want to play a game that I can't change out the cards and make it my own? I like playing elves, and I only want to play my elf deck. Um, and I net deck, so I've got exactly the same elf deck that everyone else has. But it's mine. If oh my gosh, if if you ever hear anybody say your deck can't be personal to you. 
just have the link to my YouTube video on the Call of Discovery YouTube channel saved on your phone where I talk about the Rani and the Raja of Bombagam when I got my hands on the Raja of Bombagam after two and a half, roughly, years of searching. Such a good story. And then it was found in the Czech Republic and sent to me on the goodwill of, of a Keyforge player over there. Um, uh, anyways, rant aside, Keyforge decks are so personal to you because they are unique to you. Their name is unique to you. Their play style is unique to you. You have a unique set of skills in piloting that deck. Um, so uh, I, I think if somebody's kind of lost on that point, it might not be like they might not come around if they really just want to deck build and optimize deck building. However, if they've got that gleam in their eye about figuring out a deck and learning and being really good at that deck when maybe not as many other people would be like, that's where you say, actually, they are very personal to you. You just can't deck build. And, and again, we bring up the fact that I've got a deck with that combo in it that only three decks in the world have. And I've got a key sheet in there as well, which gives me a toolkit that no one else has, which is mm-hmm. immeasurably exciting. And you never get that. You never get that in a deck building game in the same way. And that's sad because I suppose before the internet, you could have that. You could, you know, have that excitement of maybe building your own deck and everyone comes in with, you know, their own janky, weird, crazy, wonderful deck. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't, yeah, has that realistically happened? Is that realistically able to happen in today's world? Certainly with Magic Draft, you kind of get a similar thing because you're building sure. from an imperfect pool. Um, and that's what Keyforge offers, but it offers that across all variants. Yeah. Oh, variants. Variants are something you catch all... Uh, <laughs> all... Uh, all, what's the, all formats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the heart of the matter is... Um, the heart of the matter is just answered by Richard Garfield's letter in the Keyforge rulebook. Look that up if you haven't read it. It's a PDF uh, at the end of the PDF online, or you might have it in your closet where your rulebook is. But read that letter from Richard Garfield that ends with Welcome to the Jungle. And I think that really puts the point across that, sure, you can't change your deck, but but that's the point. And there's so much depth there. That's uh, as a uh, Clay Ritter noted on, on Twitter uh, when I asked about this, the misconception, he phrased it as this game has no depth because you can't build your deck. There's no strategy and winning is just random. Um, all you need to do is watch two or three games on Tabletop Royale or any Keyforge live streams or or something like that and start to recognize the decision trees, the decision paths that are going on there. And you'll see that the game is, in fact, quite deep and doesn't suffer from the ills that card games suffer from in randomness any more than any other game does. And on randomness, it's worth referencing here the interview that Richard Garfield did, apart from the one with our podcast, <laughs> on the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Um, it was a fabulous interview on the role of luck and skill in board and card mm. games. And yeah, just, you know, th- it's clearly a concept that Richard's put a lot of time into thinking about um, since designing Magic. And you know, I'd argue there's probably, on average, more skill in Keyforge as that an inability to net deck means less emphasis on those kind of mirror match luck or, you know, or, or mirror matches or luck of the draw or sort of meta matchups, you go in, you don't, you kind of have a feeling of meta if you're, if you're going into an Archon event, but you don't know quite what it looks like. And top players have been surprised time after time 
of what others are bringing to those events. But also that luck of the draw is less important because you're not all playing the same deck. So because mm-hmm. not everyone's bringing the same five decks, the luck of the draw is entirely different. Now, of course, some decks, you need the luck of the draw to win. Um, you know, luck is always a part or, and, an, and, a, and a key part of a lot of board, board, board and card games, you know, unless it's chess. But um, is it a huge part of Keyforge? Is it, is it so much of Keyforge that skill doesn't matter? I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's not more involved in Keyforge than in any other card game somebody has played. If they're if they're if somebody's taking their time to complain about Keyforge, that means they're involved enough in card games to know exactly how much uh, luck and skill factor into other card games. So I think, uh, yeah, I think if 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 they're reasonable, they may they may come around on that one. They may come around on that one. Uh, so, Ed, what are some of the misconceptions we've heard around uh, getting into Keyforge or getting good at Keyforge? Well, Zach, um, I have no money. Mm. The, well, oh, oh, sorry. The the actual misconception around <laughs> Keyforge. Yeah, Keyforge is prohibitively <laughs> expensive. It's um, really, you know, I, I honestly think it's it's nothing but predatory loot boxes on steroids. <laughs> and um, you just need a big wallet and tons of luck to have any hope of winning games. Um, you know, and, and more than that, Zach, I'm not going to stop here because Archon <laughs> is... Is it's just a who can spend the most. I'm I'm Mr. Big Money Bag, so I've spent more than everyone else and I win. And the game's really unbalanced, really, and you can only get competitive if you spend thousands of money on, on one deck. Or you just get super lucky because yeah, wow. as we said earlier, Keyforge is all just luck anyway. Wow. Was Tell that, me how was you that really enough? feel. That <laughs> this... was enough. And uh in that was in order Soho Jin, Soho Jin, Drascore, and Clay R, uh Clay Ritter from Twitter, as far as uh who these are the misconceptions. misconceptions these forward. people didn't say this yes. unironically. It was no, ironic. No. I just I just I just yes. must add. Um so uh part of it, right, is uh if somebody is complaining about this, then they've played Magic the Gathering, where uh I won't venture into deeper waters and say the problem of loot boxiness and all that is worse in Magic the Gathering and money grabbing is worse. However, I will say Keyforge isn't worse than Magic the Gathering is what I'm <laughs> confident in saying. 100 uh, pounds I, for a booster pack is all I, I can say. Oh my gosh. I, I won't I won't sit here and 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 try to try to paint you a specific picture of magic costs. However, what I know is that I run sealed twice a month at my local friendly local game store. I run Archon twice a month at my friendly local game store. If you play sealed twice a month, you get two decks a month and you pay $20 and that's it. And you go and you have a good time. And we all set expectations around Archon. And then once our, everybody's good, we can try to smash the good Archon decks. Like it's less than a lot of ticket. <laughs> yes. And a lot of these, uh, when people say these, what I get the sense that they are saying them from a place of looking at a big Archon solo vault tour or online play. Most of my Keyforge play has been on friends' porches in friendly local game stores. Yes, I've definitely logged pretty good hours at vault tours and elsewhere, but those were all sealed vault tours. I played one Archon store championship. So the actual hours of enjoyment that you're going to be getting out of Keyforge is actually remarkably cheap as far as what you could expect from a card game. 
And yes, there are, yes, some decks are more powerful. Some are less powerful, but matchups are really important. And if you really want an, if you really want a top tier deck, guess what? Sell one of your standard modern decks. And then you can buy probably two or three Vault Tour worthy uh, decks from Keyforge, especially right now before Keyforge gets big after the pandemic again. Like it is, um, if you want to go big, like you can actually go big for a lot cheaper than you can in other games. And playing casually is is honestly casual. <laughs> honestly, you're you're probably right there. Now is probably that best time before they officially announce Vault Warrior, and. Uh people start looking at those known mm-hmm. vault tour winners and i say oh, known yeah. because each of us have diamonds we have gems but it takes a lot of skill to find them so you know you mentioned experience at vault tours and of course sealed is all about knowing the game well got to have a bit of luck on your side as well but it's about knowing the game you get three decks there's going to be one of those three that's relatively good and you generally you get good sealed players. You get good Keyforge players coming out top in sealed repeatedly because mm-hmm. they understand the game, because they know a set back to front. They know the matchups. They know how it works. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's why sealed's fun. But I'd say in Archon as well, you know, anyone with a, uh, a medium-sized collection of decks with a couple of dozen decks, you've probably got an Archon deck in there. You'd be very unlucky not to have. Um, and by that, I mean a deck that is competitive at Archon Vault Tours enough to hold its own if you understand how it works, you understand how it plays against other decks that you're likely to be coming up against. And, you know, you're also pretty savvy about the deck that you choose to 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 go there and and so an element there is is knowing your deck i you know i am a great believer that we all have competitive decks in our collection that we're probably moderately unaware that we've got because we haven't been able to invest the time into them that we know that they're that they're powerful that they're good decks in in a particular format yeah yeah i agree i agree and I think, you know, uh, separate to that as well, SAS isn't everything. You know, you, you might open a deck and look at a SAS score and be like, hey, this is a great SAS score. This is a good deck. This is an Archon deck because it's got over an X SAS score. But again, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, some quite often those diamond decks are the ones that don't have high SAS scores. Um, yeah, it might be that a new set's come out and everyone goes, oh, I don't really think Shadows is that great in this set. Um, and it turns out to win win the next Vault Tour. That actually happened, I think, but I forget which set that was with. Um, yeah, I've got, again, going to reference that deck again with with the the, the funny combo. Um, it's got an awful SAS score, but it's a fabulous deck. And I'm sure there's probably a few more like that in my collection that you I, I just need to take the time and learn Keyforge better and know my Keyforge more so that I can get there. In, in understanding what that is. And I don't think that makes it prohibitively expensive at all. It means that there's tons of potential in lots of different places. People have just got to go and make it happen with what they've got. Yeah. And I, I think we've we've started to answer the next misconception we have here, Ed, is that misconceptions around good and bad. And I think... Oh, yes, of course. To, 
to clarify on that a little bit, which I think everything you've just been saying, I think relates directly to this, is that uh, as far as when a deck is generated, the strength of the deck is not just on like one single continuum on one line. Is it good or is it bad? It's much more complicated than that. If I have a very good deck, but it relies on getting my creatures out on the board and using them like so many good decks do, right? And your deck is just filled with so many board wipes that most games, your hand is just full of board wipes and actions and pips, and you don't really get to do anything with those. Heck, you might have an amazing matchup against what otherwise is a very quote unquote good deck. It's all about the matchup. It's all about uh, what order you draw and your opponent draws in and how you deal with that, because there are so many decisions to make during a game of Keyforge, which we have especially seen from like Worlds Collide on. The other sets are certainly take a lot of skill. And I think we've grown to recognize how big those decision trees are, even in called the Archons and Age of Ascension, but especially from Worlds Collide on. The amount of decisions you make, even just in one turn, just turns into a complete fractal of how the game could have gone and how you are guiding yourself along that path with your skill at the deck. And we'd be remiss not to quote Karen Brown here, who said, I think people get walloped by something strong and think there are invincible decks, not realizing that a deck will get walloped in five minutes Mm. by something else entirely. Yes. And this happens in every single card game, right? Every single card game, you're going to have those matchups that don't work quite as well against different things. Difference being in Keyforge, those matchups have different cards in them each time. They're not just sort of the same decks (laughs) for, for what they are in the meta. So it's 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 a bit more diversity it's not quite as clear cut but there are always going to be i actually don't have any artifact control in this deck you know i can't win this one that is going to happen sometimes yeah yeah of course and uh shout out to karen brown who really uh embodies that value we were just talking about because uh i regularly get sent decks where she's like hey i just got this deck for 15 dollars," and i look at it i'm like karen that could I, I know you're sending this to me because you know this already, but that deck could win a vault tour, in my opinion, <laughs> which you just got for $15. So, uh, yeah, if you if you read up your cards, play your Keyforge and keep an eye out, you can uh, you can really get some heavy hitters um, for uh, for good deals, for good deals out there for sure. Yeah. And that brings us right back to that prohibitively expensive part again. Keyforge is a $10 game. Keyforge is really a $10 game. Mm, Keyforge is a, yes, Keyforge yeah, is a $10 game. It's a $10 mm, game. Mm. And sometimes I wish I'd bought less decks and appreciated the ones I had a bit more. <laughs> you know, it, it, no, it is like that. It's a bit, a bit like friendships. You can have a hundred friends uh, who are acquaintances or you can have 10 friends that you really invest time into and you get more back yeah. from. And the cadence of set releases isn't too much with Keyforge we get in normal times we get one keyforge set every six months which is you know a drop and then you've got a lot of time to dive into it to understand how does this work how does this work against different sets what are the possibilities and of course many of those possibilities will never ever even be printed which is super exciting but that cadence of releases means uh, combined with a lack of power creep or a relative lack of power creep compared to some other constructed card games means that really you're not having to spend as much as you would i think you know mm-hmm. to compare it with magic you've got four regular set releases every year you've also then got 10 
uh, 10 odd uh, supplemental set releases around that you've got different cards for different formats not variants you catch those um and you know it it, it is a very different game and that that cadence of releases that breathing room that each set has is also breathing room for our wallets and helps keep keep this game a healthy game i think to engage with price wise yeah i agree and something as uh if you listen to our our other episode on you know building a uh, you're running a successful keyforge night something i have found as one of the champions for the local scene is uh, that when I'm picking a deck to play in Archon, I'm not picking my small handful of really good decks that I've practiced with for for bigger events. I'm actually going to my middle and bottom because as an experienced player, I can play something really janky, really kind of off-kilter deck, and then I can play really hard with that deck against newbies so that they feel, one, you know, most card game players want to feel respected and not, you know, not have it taken easy on them when you're going, but you can do that by playing one of your mid-strength or lower decks that you haven't played before. So I am actually digging into my collection each Monday looking for, okay, what what less powerful deck that's uh, a bit wonkier, maybe not doesn't punch quite as hard as my others, can I bring so that I can play hard and just have a soft handicap by playing this deck? And so I'm not I'm not taking the Randy of Bombagam and Ovarius Andros Jones Rebel and Adrarch Fearshard out there to Monday nights yet because uh, I just don't want to crunch, uh, crush a whole bunch of newbies because that's not fun for me or for them. <laughs> I want to crush experienced players. What happened to Sweaty Zach? Uh, he's here. This is him. Okay. Sometimes so, he sometimes he dries off and masquerades so, as Zach. Sweaty but Zach doesn't here. want to crush newbies. No, sw- no, Sweaty Zach. No, Sweaty Zach doesn't want to crush newbies because Sweaty Zach. Uh, when Sweaty Zach sweats, he he wants he wants to be earning it. He wants to fight with honor, and crushing newbies is not fighting with honor. He wants the newbies to start to beat him, because then he knows he can play as hard as he can, and then they'll start to go roughly fifty fifty. All I'm and, hearing uh, is that Sweaty Zach wants to build newbies up so that he can then break them down piece by piece. <laughs> And if, when I break them down piece by piece, I want them to fight as hard as they can against it and give me an actual challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know that 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 is what will build a healthy community who who wants to play tough games against each other. I think. Mm. So shout out, shout out to uh, gosh, my friend uh, John Simon, who's in my local scene. Uh, I've had at least one or two games against him recently, where he's he's just a few months into the game, but he had me on the edge of my seat, and I looked at him in the face and I said, "John, I'm going all in right now." because you're scaring me. <laughs> it's quite a fun process. Did you lose the car? <laughs> That's what happens in films when uh, people say they're going all in. Uh, yeah, just uh, don't tell uh don't tell my wife Megan. I haven't told her I lost the lost the car yet. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. Zach, you've you've already ruined the the spoiler about what our last misconception is um around good and bad decks um so you know do you want to vocalize some of these misconceptions oh sure yeah the ones the ones we've got on record here uh we already touched on most of it right but the some people say keyforge decks are just bad or some keyforge decks are just bad most keyforge decks you open will be trash uh 90% of magic the gathering cards never get played by the way so that's just something to think of when we're looking at standards for our industry um so like <laughs> nice. that just throw it in there a little drop <laughs> yeah right um so i'm like okay 
like, yes, you won't play most of the decks you open, but that's on you. And also it's normal for this, this industry. And so related to all that, um, I do think Ed covered it quite well when we were transitioning out of the other point. But the last thing I will say about all these decks is uh, they're not all just good or bad. It's a much more complicated system of how much victory a deck will achieve than just good or bad, right? And all decks are useful for at least one of five things. At the very least, and there's probably more than this, but these are just off the top of my head. One, Archon. If it's strong or has good matchups against decks, you think you're going to play. Two, great for reversal. These are rarer because actually reversal decks are really hard to find. But hey, if you have a really bad deck, just give it a whirl on reversal. Two, or gosh darn it. Three, uh, adaptive. Is it a weird deck? Kind of mid-tier, upper-tier, lower-tier deck? Try it out in adaptive and and get good at adaptive with it. Uh, Four, Pick mid-tier decks to uh, oh play against newbies with, like I do, because then you can soft handicap yourself and still play hard against them. Or five, you can give them away. Shout out to Sky Jedi, who is championing Project Reforge, sending, uh, as of recording, he has sent 50-something uh, Reforge packs with 3D-printed tokens and a good handful of decks for free to players all across. And so these are... Oh, gosh, if every person getting a Reforged pack is playing with somebody else, that is 100 people at a minimum who are going to be trying out Keyforge for free. Uh, And Luke, actually, uh, Sky Jedi, ran out of his own bulk deck. So other people have been sending him decks. Darkwater Doug from Twitter sent him a huge box of spare tokens for Reforged packs uh, to just get the word of this game out there. So all of your decks are useful, even if that means getting it out of your own hands, even if that means learning how to chain bid so you can play an adaptive. Uh, all all decks have some sort of use at, the, uh, at some point. Too right, Zach, too right. And for, for adaptive, for those mediocre decks in your collection, the ones that are interesting uh, or that are janky or that have some fun combos in them or that are tough to play make great adaptive decks. The ones that are easy to play, the ones that are simple to get your head around, maybe don't make such great adaptive decks. But yeah, as as you've just said, Zach, they make great decks for giving away or teaching new players. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I, I think, you know, that that firmly undermines that misconception that some Keyforge decks are just bad or most Keyforge decks you open will be trash. And, and certainly Age of Ascension is a set that has come under this umbrella quite frequently it is a set that perhaps doesn't have as many archon decks and this is maybe somewhere where this misconception comes from that good decks are archon decks and bad decks are non-archon decks um but archon isn't the only keyforge format or variant it is just one of many and hopefully as we get back out and start playing a bit more organized play we'll see the true diversity of Keyforge um, and the, the many different ways in which you can play this game, which will yeah, make it clearer to, to more people that actually, you know, Keyforge is, is a game for all decks. Yeah, I totally agree. Awesome, awesome. So, Zach, have we truly allied some of the most common misconceptions around Keyforge, or is it all a ruse? Is Keyforge just dead? <laughs> uh welcome dear listener to the first time we have made fart noises on call of discovery 
It's actually hey, not we because it... we did it in like minute six of this episode. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess I mean this this episode, this episode itself. Hey, uh, we our our little podcast made it all the way through the pandemic, so I think we've earned uh, maybe just one one little set of fart noises. Um, which actually, if we've earned one set of fart noises, like help from future self should probably just be farting on every episode because they haven't missed a week since they started. So they yeah. should probably just make more fart noises. That last episode was a smelly one. <laughs> <laughs> We got to stop this before you really devolve into ten-year-olds. Oh tenure dear! Else. Oh um, dear! I'm nearly thirty, Zach, and I'm trying to reclaim the rest of my youth. I think that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> just, just no. I can still do fart jokes. Um, it is okay. Oh. Um. Well, uh, dear guest, if you are still listening because you just put up with all of that nonsense, thank you so much for joining us uh, to hear about and talk about Keyforge's misconceptions. And please uh, hit uh, me up on Twitter. Send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. If you have some additional thoughts about misconceptions, you've heard of misconceptions that you have heard people say that you have had to work around that maybe you didn't uh, hear on the podcast, send them to us. I would love to have a little chat with you about those and if you're enjoying call of discovery of course please subscribe on your podcast app of choice that's going to make sure you get the episodes when they drop if you're new to Keyforge and listening to this episode in particular not a bad one please visit the new player guide on archon arcana the Keyforge wiki which we have linked below to get started on your own unique journey into this wonderful game and if you're looking to support us monetarily please look and visit our patreon linked below where you can sign up to support us month by month and enjoy rewards like our exclusive discourse where we get topics and questions for the show uh, like we did today from a couple of our lovely people and you also get access to beyond discovery our little side podcast where we talk about things behind the scenes like stats how things are going our vision for the future of the show uh and a and, couple of silly topics on the side too and make thought noises uh, well, we uh, if if Pat if Patreon subscribers, if you want fart noises, we'll fart for you. It's fine. Just let us know. Also, uh, if, and anyone with an Amazon device, <laughs> um, if you ask it, I can't I can't say it because all of your Amazon devices will respond to me saying uh, their name. But if you ask it to make fart noises, it does, and it's glorious and absolutely terrifying at the same time. Let us know if you'd like to see more or less fart noises in future shows by interacting with us across all of social media on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery?